Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, tickets are now available for our 2023 Art of Desire retreat in Spring City. We normally do this retreat in Oregon, but this year we've decided to do it in Utah, a little closer to a lot of people. Uh, the retreat is an amazing opportunity to put your regular life aside for a few days and to focus on your personal development. It can be difficult to find the time with the online course, to find the focus, to find the freedom from distraction. So the lovely thing about a retreat is that you have this dedicated space to immerse yourself in these concepts, to be able to ask me questions, and to learn through the comments and interactions I have with other women, as well as the interactions you have with them throughout your time at the retreat. Um, I get consistently letters and emails of people talking about how life-changing the retreat experience was for them, that they really came to see themselves, their lives, and their challenges around intimacy, their relationship to themselves, their spouse, their faith, in a different light, that opened them up to a more joyful way of being engaged with all of these things. We're limiting this retreat to 60 to 65 participants. Normally our retreats are a little larger than that. So this is a little bit smaller um, of a retreat experience. We have exercise, we have healthy, wonderful food. We have a movie night. We have discussions with me in the evenings. So there's a lot of... um, ways to interact with these concepts and with one another. And so the retreat is just an amazing experience. It's really my favorite thing to do. So I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity. Our tickets have been opened up to some of our exclusive groups. So we have sold many of them, but if you want a chance to get in, it's your opportunity to do it. Looking forward to seeing you in Spring City. I am so grateful today to get to interview again my dear friend Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is a marriage and sexuality coach and has many classes, virtual classes and retreats that she does for couples and, and for women and some for men to help all of us, members of the church, get comfortable with having sexual desire and knowing how to relate to one another sexually better. Today, Jennifer and I are going to talk a little bit about a phrase that I coined four years ago when I was creating a lecture for healthy sexuality in marriage class that I taught at BYU. The lecture was all about freedom to enjoy sexuality as sons and daughters of heavenly parents. It was about our sexual theology, what we believe, what we understand, what we know, and how we're incorporating that in our experience here in mortality. As I was preparing this lecture, over and over again, this little phrase kept coming to my mind. And so I decided to title this particular lecture, Erotic Discipleship. You can imagine as I taught this for the first time, the stir that might have happened in my class. It seems like those two ideas don't go together. They almost feel like they would repel against one another. 
As we talk today with Jennifer, you will come to understand more about what we believe erotic discipleship looks like. Today, I have Jennifer Finlayson Fife with me, and I'm so excited to talk about a topic that actually on campus here at BYU has caused quite a stir over the last few years as I bring this lecture into my healthy sexuality classes, and I've titled it Erotic Discipleship. And I wanted to talk about this concept with her because I value so much her thinking and ideas. Jennifer, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you could be here. So I'm just going to jump in and tell you a little bit about, as I was preparing initially this lecture, I wanted so much to be able to interface the ideas of goodness that come from being not only erotic, but the goodness of discipleship, the goodness Mm -hmm. of living aligned with what you believe as well as the goodness of honoring covenants. All those things are so good. But sexuality and pleasure and joy, eroticism that can be shared within a marriage is also so good and wonderful. And yet, Mm. somehow they don't interface very well in the way that Mm -hmm. we talk about them, either one of them. So I led—I created this lecture. It took me about 20 hours to prepare a 75-minute lecture (laughs) because it was just (laughs) such a new idea. And my hope in in this lecture, and it actually has come to pass over time, is that my students, my clients, listeners here, might somehow gain some type of a, a testimony of the goodness of our sexual theology and the importance that our Heavenly Parents place on the joy that comes from human love mm-hmm. and the reverence that comes from living a dedicated life that is also joyful in the bedroom. And so mm-hmm. that's what I would love to talk with you about today. Right. So when you hear or first heard the term erotic discipleship, tell me what came to your mind. Well, it's true. It was a little bit of a mind twist because, you know, you sent me right. some questions that I was looking at last night and I was thinking— Okay, I, I think I know what Tammy's saying, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, well, and, and it also, I can see why it might create a stir because mm-hmm. of how we think of sexuality and spirituality as antithetical to one another. Right. Right. I mean, we we say sexuality is good and all, we say all those things, it's sacred and stuff, but... You know, I remember I was asked to come and do a homemaking meeting back when we called it that um, (laughs) on my dissertation. And many women were upset. They're like, she's going to talk about sex at church. You know, kind of like (laughs) you're allowing Satan to come into a sacred place. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and so, you know, we really, so many of us naturally create a division between these two concepts. So... On the other hand, there's a part of me that, at least, I don't know that this is the way that you think about it, Tammy, and I'd like to know more how you're thinking about it. The true meaning of discipleship has a lot to do with like a discipline, like you are, you are shaping your behavior towards creating something good. Right. Now, you know, so if, you know, there's a kind of, I think in the best 
highest meaning, most beautiful form of sexuality. There's both a freedom in it and a discipline in it. Mm -hmm. There's like a moral anchor and also a freedom. And the they both are working alongside each other. And when sexuality goes awry, it's either overly free, as in there's no morality in it, there's no kind of anchor, or it's suffocated by shoulds and you have to and rules and fear. And I think either one of those kill or are anti-spiritual right. positions in my view, and they kill the rejuvenating aspect of sexuality but there's a there's a spiritual wisdom in finding this middle ground that requires our development as people into becoming wiser more loving beings to find that balance of of moral groundedness but freedom and joy and pleasure and they they belong together. Right. That's exactly how I didn't ever say it as beautifully as you just did. <laughs> but exactly, my thinking has been that, yes, a, a disciple is someone who turns their life over and is willing to live within a certain set of boundaries and commandments and, and to observe covenants, all of that. And erotic— on the other hand, as you were saying, a lot of times has the idea that it's uh, off the rails and anything goes as long as it's bringing me passion and and pleasure. It's it's good, and that's certainly not what I how I'm encasing that either. But together, really wonderfully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ can live erotic, passionate, sexually fun and playful marriages. I believe that's what you do. I believe that's what I do. I believe there are a lot of people who are doing it. And I believe there are a lot of people who don't understand that you can do both and claim so much more joy in the process. Right. So, you know, I, I'm also working on a book. I'm not— I'm so excited <laughs> about this. What's it, what's it going to be called? Do you know? Uh, well, I think it's going to be called That They Might Have Joy mm. and oh, Sexuality as a Pathway to Spirituality for Latter-day Saints. So I, one of the things that I talk about that's relevant to what you're saying is that I give kind of a— a developmental path of people's spiritual development. And, you know, our the earlier stages of our development, we think much more black and white about goodness is dutiful, obedient, and pleasure avoidant, and mm -hmm. evil is pleasure seeking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that there's nothing wrong with the fact that we think that way because we need to think that way for our later levels of development. So we must start there with these sort of, these rules and yielding to the rules because we're internalizing a, a moral framework. And what happens is that when people are in loving homes and loving relationships, that morality gets more and more deeply internalized, but people move out of a compliance framework or compliance and defiance framework, you know, because mm -hmm. so, some people are very sexual in a kind of defiance and then they feel bad about it and then they go back into shameful compliance. But when people are in a loving home, a loving relationship, they get more and more able to go from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. 
And they think less in terms of I must obey an external authority to I must obey my own clarity about what is good and what is not good. So they become more integrity focused and less external authority focused. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not because they're defying the external authority. It's that it's become a part of their wisdom as, as people, that they are able to think in terms of, you know, they're becoming more godly. It's very much right. how we think about it in our faith is that you grow line upon line into deeper wisdom to become more like our parents in heaven. So there is a spirit of the law sense. And so there is, it's not that, um, you know, sometimes people say, can you do this? Can you do this in marriage? That's more the obedience frame where the people that grow into deeper trust in a, in love and in themselves and in their partnership and in a God that cares for them, well, then there's a freedom that emerges within it. Not like an anything goes freedom, like not like it doesn't matter what I do. It's not self-serving, but it has a kind of loss of self-consciousness in a way because you're more at peace with yourself. You're more at peace with your partnership. You trust yourself more. And so an in, a kind of inherent flexibility and solidness become a part of your life. And they seem kind of paradoxical at an earlier stage, like how can you be both solid in who you are and more flexible, or how can you feel both free and be kind of morally anchored? But the two sort of enhance one another. Right. You know, people that are more fear-based just in life, they tend to be more rigid mm -hmm. in their interactions For with sure. others and they're tracking, like, am I supposed to do that, not supposed to do that? Where people that are more at peace with themselves, you sense a kind of freedom in their personality and that they're fun and that they care about people and they're, you feel like you can know them, they're real. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what's happening in sexuality also, that there's a kind of realness in it and kindness in it and flexibility in it but one would not betray themselves or their partner mm -hmm. in that either. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's hard to understand how they go together unless you can kind of have enough faith in it and learn your way into it. But it isn't necessarily intuitive. And if you've experienced trauma or you come out of a home that was quite shaming, well, that might be harder to lean into because you haven't been able to really internalize a world that feels safe and Absolutely. structured to find that more nuanced spirit of the law within it. Yes. And especially thinking what you just said, incorporating if this is something in their home and the churches or church leadership is a big part of that home. And then there's this other aspect that's also unhealthy happening within that same home, what confusion. Yes. I could see why that Absolutely. would be a big, this idea would be really troublesome for an individual yes. like that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So mm. let's talk a little bit about our heavenly parents. We understand that we're created in the image of either a heavenly father or a heavenly mother. I'm curious, do you believe that we look and function, our bodies look and function like theirs too? I mean— I guess I don't know, but I think we've been offered that idea mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And, you know, that that we are created in their image and that we are embodied like they are and that our embodiment is fundamental to our spiritual progression. 
You know, as I talk about a lot, you know, a lot right. of Christian interpretations say the body's the impediment and the threat, rather than in our understanding that it's actually essential to our ability to learn wisdom, to use our agency, to create, to grow, to learn, mm-hmm. to learn to love, to learn to experience joy. So this is all a precious gift. Right to our development into a kind of freedom and capacity for good if we choose it. Right. Mm -hmm. I like to think that we are very much in the image and function and that as Mm -hmm. we are being refined and growing in these beautiful instruments here and developing, we're becoming more like them spiritually, Mm -hmm. certainly. And I think we might learn so much more about what it might be like physically as well. Mm-hmm. So I think there's mm-hmm. such wisdom, yes. too, at, in our bodies as we age. I'm getting older. I'm actually, this is my last year at BYU. I'm retiring. And so mm. I I know that there's wisdom that comes with the aging process as well. And yes. I think sexually speaking, there because I get to associate with so many young, bright, exciting perfect little not they're not perfect but their bodies seem perfect yeah. <laughs> compared to mine yeah. <laughs> now yeah right and um yeah. and to to really gain a reverence and appreciation for what you can do at the age that you are and um, because mm-hmm. it won't stay that way i know i'm right. i'm quite older than you are but have you come at a place in your your life where you've started to recognize wow i don't think i really realized that that was a lot easier then than it is now. Or You mean in terms of sexual yes. responsiveness? Uh-huh. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes, yes. I'm postmenopausal at this point, so yes. Yeah. It's um, So those of listening in, as you think about our, our bodies and how we are created in the image of heavenly parents, I sus- hope, I don't know, maybe we'll have the wisdom that we get as we gain, as we grow mortally in age, but wouldn't it be nice to eternally have those younger, more responsive bodies? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for, too. That's <laughs> so funny. I was just saying that to my husband yesterday. I'm like, gosh, you know, I was just like remembering back to young earlier in marriage, and I was like, wouldn't it be nice if we could have all the wisdom and things we've learned yes. now, but just have that younger body? <laughs> yes, I agree. So I think that it might be kind of what we get, I hope, what we get yeah. to be like. But I wanted to just yeah. add to all of us that, you know, today is we're younger than we're ever going to be again. So mm-hmm. yeah. enjoy. Enjoy the season you're, yeah. you're in right now. Well, and there's a lot to be said about—sorry, oh, Tammy, to interrupt, but I just think there's also a lot to be said about wisdom being a part of good sex. Oh, yes. <laughs> so while your body may not be as responsive or just like <laughs> as, you know, right? Your body's not driving the, the car, so to speak, sometimes in sex, you, you know, your, your soul is. But there is a, there's a depth and beauty and freedom that I think a lot of couples' experience increases as they get older because they become more self-accepting more embracing of the good and the beauty that's in their life and in their partnership. So there's often some of the most meaningful sex is happening 
in those later stages, even if the body is not as cooperative as it once was. Yes. Oh, I, I'm <laughs> so, so yeah. glad you added that. That is so, so mm-hmm. important. And it reminded me of, uh, I was ministering to a sister earlier in my life, and I think she's probably in her 70s or 80s, and I was in my 20s, and I got done. It was when we called it visiting teaching, and I was leaving her mm-hmm. home, and she said, oh, Tammy, I need to tell you, never use Vaseline for lube. I did that, and <laughs> I had the worst yeast infection. And I just remember, like, walking home thinking, I didn't even know people that old could still have sex. <laughs> and yet this this woman That's was awesome. so fun. I loved her. And and she obviously was sexually active and um and learning all kinds of things at that stage in life. So I yep. hope that all of us will continue to have good, yeah. wise, and wonderful sex throughout throughout our journeys. Okay, yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the line in the proclamation that says, We declare the means by which mortal life is created to be divinely employ- appointed. Mm-hmm. I have thought mm-hmm. about that line. I think I've studied several of the words, particularly appointed in that line. And I've just come to really reverence this line. As you, Mm. when I've studied through the scriptures, as well as other sources about the term appointed and appointment, that it's it's something that's almost like a calling, that it's something Mm. that you have responsibility Mm. for. So and that and so when you you think about that line that's mm-hmm. in the proclamation to the family, have you had specific kind of insight aha moments as you've pondered upon it? I mean, I don't think I've thought about it with the depth that you're saying right now, but it's it's a really valuable idea that we are given these gifts of our body, of our sexuality the possibility of procreation Mm -hmm. and, you know, and loving sexuality, that these are gifts and we have a kind of stewardship in them. I think when you're talking about appointed, that's the idea that comes into my mind is like, how are we going to relate to this gift Mm -hmm. and responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? The gift of embodiment, Mm -hmm. the gift of a partnership, the gift of a body that can feel and do and act and love. And so it's a way of clarifying it is a divine gift. It's not an evil burden, right? Sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's a divine gift. So it's important for us because I think for some, that's only an act of faith to believe that, right? Like they see sexuality as something that they're afraid of or that's been a negative reality in their life. Right. But that it is a gift, and then how we relate to it matters. Sometimes people say sex is bad. Sometimes people say sex is good. And I would say sexuality has been given to us, but what we do with it determines if it's good or bad, if it, if it creates strength in our lives or if it undermines our well-being. And so, you know, can we receive that gift receive our capacity for pleasure and utilize it, relate to it in a way that blesses our lives and blesses the lives of our important relationships. So 
I like the idea of it being both a reminder of its divine origin and then also how you relate to it matters. So it's a gift of divine origin, and it's also an opportunity in mortality to be accountable for what, what we choose to do with it and recognize that it requires attention and time. And like any, I think any calling or assignment or something you were asked or assigned or appointed to do, you would you would be thoughtful of and prayerful yes. over and put your best foot forward in trying to to do your best at it. And so I like to yes. think of erotic discipleship a little bit with this line as well as that, yes, it's a divine gift and it's a wonderful opportunity. It's also something that you can really uh, need to to own and recognize there's there's purpose and reason for it being appointed to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that you really have choices because some have experienced the evil and dark ways yes. that someone can relate to sexuality. They've felt been violated or been you know in some way harmed and. I don't mean say it flippantly at all because often that takes some real effort to overcome oh, or to at least yeah. make sense of this experience or experiences to make sense of yourself in a more truthful way than what you came to believe about yourself as a victim of that violation. But I do think there is real value in understanding that we have the freedom to create a different meaning through sexuality that we don't have to buy in or keep it in the dark form that we maybe have experienced Mm -hmm. it and instead can embrace this as a gift that was for us, perhaps that someone else tried to take or Uh violate, but that it was a gift to us and that we can choose how we relate to it and how to allow it to be a positive force in our life. I love that. Okay, I want to ask a question that I get asked all the time from students. My experience in doing teaching and also some in therapy is that ghosts or past sexual experiences, either with people that you haven't been married to, people you have been married to, people you are divorced from, people who have died. But so I call that ghosts. Mm -hmm. That ghosts in the bedroom are rarely very helpful to the sexual activity that's happening in the here and now. And so as couples prepare to marry, I would love to know how you feel that individuals should share about previous sexual histories. Do you think this is wise? Why or why not? Um, I'd just love to hear your take on it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because it's it's a little bit nuanced. I don't have like a simple, you never should or you always should. or But for sure. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, in some of the dissertation interviews that I did, I asked about women's histories premaritally and and coming into marriage and so on. And a lot of women actually would say, well, I repented of this behavior and therefore I didn't tell my husband. And they were like, I'm clear that God forgave me. I'm not clear that he could forgive me, right? The problem is that ghost was in the bedroom anyway, (laughs) 
even if he didn't know about a history, because she would feel this sense of hiding from him, that she couldn't be open and knowable, that if if he really knew her, he would reject her, right? So that's like mm-hmm. a harmful ghost and a harmful meaning. And so a lot of times people's secrecy around this is more not because they believe that God's forgiven them. It's because they are afraid that their partner could not handle it. It is also true that I've worked with women who had previous sexual experiences, and it tends to be more difficult if the woman has and the man has not. Because I think we have more of an idea that men are more sexual or it's more forgivable. This is a theme that came up in my research. But so where they were straightforward about it, told their dating partner about their, you know, like maybe they were inactive for a while, had a sexual relationship or two, and then came back to the church, they were straightforward. And their spouse said, okay, or their fiance or whoever said, okay, no, like I can handle that. And then once they got married, then the the new husband who had less experience felt threatened by, was she way more into this other guy? Was he better at this yes. than me? Are you thinking about him? And even if she wasn't at all, it ended up interfering with any kind of freedom. I mean, the thing that's difficult about sex is that we, our sense of self is very tied to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so men often, they often want someone that's less experienced because they want to be the, the somehow the one that's sexually more able. They want the idea that they're, they know what's going down and uh, even if she doesn't. And, <laughs> right. You know, because we, we culturally right. tie men's sense of self to these ideas, right? And, and so, well, and then we can think, well, am I not enough for him? Does, is, did he look at porn because I'm insufficient? So, right, so our sense of self is so tied to our sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that's why the more and more we come to accept ourselves and the more and more we learn to love another, the freer sex gets, okay? Because we're not so concerned with proving ourselves. You know, we, we get more able to just hold on to our dignity and to love the other and say, okay, you had... You had experiences before you met me, right? You you came to be who you are in part through what you learned through those experiences. And if I tie my sense of self to you and your history or, or all of your choices, we're toast because, absolutely, yeah. you know, I can't, if I make you be my measure, I'm going to have a hard time desiring you and being free to be myself with you. So... All that said, I think there is a, I don't think you need to detail every thought, feeling, history, meaning if you are doing that, why are you doing it? Is it that you have to prove yourself? Is it that you're trying to induce insecurity in your spouse? I mean, you know, you don't have to share every thought or feeling you ever had about someone in the past, but I do think it's also, you know, you don't want to withhold information that your partner would want to know, right? Or that you would want to know in the reverse, you want them to understand who you are and to not hide anything. It's part of what makes you trustworthy. And of course, you can have flashbacks to experiences or thoughts or feelings and still make a decision to bring your energy to your sexual relationship. So you can choose a kind of loyalty without dismissing previous experiences or dismissing attractions and experiences you've had with others. So there is a basic decision that people make in a good marriage that I'm really bringing my sexual energy and investment here. 
But that's different than saying I've never, ever had another thought, feeling, or experience, and that it all exists only for you. I think that's right, a different right. demand. Uh-huh. And yeah. so part of it is we have to grow ourselves up around this. And I remember asking my husband, well, what, how far did you go with this girlfriend? And, how, you know, I can handle it. You can tell me. <laughs> As he starts to tell me some things, I'm like feeling upset, you know, and I'm like, I'm ridiculous. Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I, <laughs> I love, I just love how. You're so darn approachable. It's great. I um, uh, you because my well, my first husband passed away when I was 37, and I remarried mm. five years later. And and my husband now is also a widower. So we both were sexually active with our late spouses, obviously. And mm-hmm. there is a lot of insecurity that even as yes. mature, secure people bring in all the loyalty and the goodness to the here and now. There sometimes aren't those thoughts that creep in like, well, how do I compare, you know? And it's just, sure. I don't know how to, you just keep growing yourself up. You just keep growing yourself up and don't stay there, right? Yeah. And to say, like, I I can, I mean, I don't know because I haven't been in this experience, but I can tolerate that my spouse has loved another person and Mm -hmm. has had positive experience with another person. And that it's not here for me to compare, but to love well and to create goodness here. You know, I've often said to my husband, if I were to die ahead of you, like I really would want you to marry and be happy and to love someone wholeheartedly. Because I believe you could still be grateful for and love me and for everything we've had. And there's no reason for you to not also be happy in your life Mm -hmm. if, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Don't get sealed to or anything, but still. <laughs> I'm not sharing, okay? <laughs> but that's another conversation. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's so true. So these young kids, then, I have to tell you, honestly, there's sometimes I feel like, you know, if you've moved on and you don't, and you really are going to be able to be in the here and now, I think you might be introducing things in the bedroom that don't necessarily need to be there. And then there's other times I think, you know, this is this is part of your history, like you were saying. This has helped you become the person you are now and don't need to get into specific details about what you shared. But I think if you're coming into this, all of you, this is part of you, so it needs to be disclosed. I really go back and forth. I don't know what is right and what is not as right. So I was curious yeah, about your I, exactly. thoughts. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just thinking of what is best, I guess. What is the spirit of the law in this? You know, <laughs> what is actually happening? Is this about a kind of self-torture oh, yeah. to understand and know? Or is this just about knowing your spouse and knowing that, you know, you aren't the, the you don't need to be the epicenter of their world for you mm-hmm. to have real value? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, or is it that I just am so afraid of knowing what's there? That's why I'm not finding out. Well, then that's also not a good reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think I, what you said just a second ago, also, I think a question I could ask them is, why wouldn't you want to tell them? And if is it, you're afraid of what will happen in the relationship, then there might be some other things that need to be addressed as well. That's right. That's right. So. Well, thank you. You're helping me so much. So, Jennifer, as we kind of conclude with this, any other thoughts about erotic discipleship or anything you think you would want to share with any of my wonderful students here at BYU? If you had a 
a class to share with them, what what information would you hope that they would gain from you? Well, I, I think just an idea that I've been thinking about, I don't even know if I can quite articulate it. Uh, you know, I remember once in a really society meeting, the teacher said, think of a sacred space. And um, the first thing that came to my mind was my bed, <laughs> because it really does feel yeah. that way to me. And I don't mean that it's all hushed tones and, you know, I don't, I don't mean like in the way that we sometimes mean sacred, which is mm-hmm. quiet and subdued, but the meaning is soul expansive. So spirituality like expands our souls. And I think joyful sexuality expands our souls. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes people that have that kind of soul expansive sex, right, where there's a deep sense of love and freedom and cherishing, well, a lot of people describe that both in the church and out as spiritual, transcendent, right? Like that they, a kind of liminality that's a part of spiritual experience. Right. Liminality is kind of this sense of both being kind of deeply yourself, but also deeply outside of your normal uh, boundaries mm-hmm. of self. And so, and I love the ritualistic part of it in a good marriage is this kind of coming together. It's a place you work out your, the tensions and the frustrations and the joys and the, and there's so much development that can happen. And this marital ritual is, is so much a part of that spiritual growth within a marriage, or it can be, I guess I should say. And I don't mean to make it so lofty that it becomes inaccessible, like everything has to be spiritual, because I don't feel that way at all. Sometimes it's just downright sexual pleasure, but it's still like a part of a larger friendship that mm-hmm. is growing and evolving and caring for each other. And so I think there's a real beauty in it as much as marriage and sexuality can be tough sometimes and painful and feelings of loss. So that's all part of the spiritual work that we're doing. And Mm -hmm. I think of sexuality as really fundamental to it. Absolutely. Me too. Me -hmm. too. So can you wrap up today by telling my, my listeners about your why? This is the Live Your Why podcast. And I just, I, I, we've met just a few times, but I just, I'm such a big fan of yours. And I know you have a lot of people who look to you for the way to think around sexuality and, and self-ownership. And what is your why, Jennifer? It's such a good question. And I kind of purposely didn't think about it. I'm like, <laughs> just like it's going to come to me here as I'm talking to you. But <laughs> let me see. What is the real answer? I think I love the work I do. It means so much to me that I would do it for free. I think when I was younger and I was in young women's lessons and I was hearing these standards nights and things like that, I remember thinking a lot of these adults seem very, very anxious about sexuality. (laughs) So there was some part of me that understood that this was a human anxiety, that there was a larger possibility, even though I was personally very conservative in my choices around this. Like I, I, I was... I did take a kind of comfort in the law of chastity and this, this idea of being very careful about our choices. But I really did believe in this larger possibility. I could feel it as a as a good thing. 
and then saw so many friends of mine getting married and struggling or women that weren't happy in marriage. And I just Mm -hmm. felt this like desire to help, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to make a difference, to kind of be able to help couples in the church and women, especially in the church, to be happier in their sense Mm -hmm. of self, in their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very grateful to have had a platform and a way to help many members of the church to live, how I would say it, into the best of, in our theology, to see that they're, that the God we worship wants us to have joy, wants us to become people capable of it, because joy is not the same thing as happy or free of pain. It's, it's a way of being able to see beauty and cherish beauty and create beauty through the people we become and that marriage is so fundamental. Well, relationships and a marriage mm-hmm. in a supercharged way is a part of that developmental stretching process. So I, my why is I, I just want it as much as I can to help people grow into stronger selves, more capable of love and more capable of, of meaningful marital and sexual friendship. Mm. Well, I think you're living your why, don't you? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And that's probably why there's such a light in your eyes and a a happiness in your voice when you talk, because you're doing you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Appreciate your time. And I know that people will love listening and learning from you today. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks, Tammy. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.